So I said earlier that the last time I was here was in 2019. And as I was looking at what to preach on, on short notice, which I'm glad to do, uh, I turned to the Lord's Prayer and I picked out this passage of Scripture. And then I looked back and I said, I wonder if I've ever preached that at uh, Village Church. And I saw that I preached on this same passage when I was here in 2019. But the thing that's interesting is this is an entirely different message with entirely different points and with entirely different application, which means that God's word is big and is able to address us in all kinds of situations. And uh, one could easily preach a whole series of messages, and many have, on the Lord's Prayer. This morning, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. But we're particularly going to be looking at, in the sermon, verses 9 and 10, which is the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. So the Word of God according to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 6, verses, 15, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would now illumine your word to our hearts and that, Lord, you would use my words by your Holy Spirit in applying them to the people where they need it today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What expectations did you bring as you walked into this room this morning? Did you come with merely earthly expectations? Expectations limiting, limited to wondering who you will see, wondering who you will talk to, what the church will look like, what we will sing. Or did you come with routine expectations this Sunday? You expect this Sunday to be like every other Sunday. Same old routine. Or did you come with negative expectations? You were not really happy to be here. You're merely here out of a sense of obligation or to please whoever it is that brought you. Or maybe your expectations aren't here this morning at all. Your mind is on the week ahead and the things that you need to accomplish as you head to work. Or maybe it's on the political news that we hear all around us 
or news from the world. Or maybe your mind is backwards looking at the Super Bowl and particular ads that maybe you saw there that have been discussed this week. Or maybe your expectations are just what you plan to do this afternoon. We have all kinds of expectations as we come to worship. I once heard Dr. Richard Pratt, who's president of Third Millennium Ministries, I heard him lead a Bible study on the Lord's Prayer. And he began that study by observing something that he has noticed in all kinds of churches, in all kinds of places. He has noticed, particularly here in the West, a number of Christians who've seen their once vibrant faith lapse into a powerless routine. Where's our excitement for public worship? You know, there is more passion for a home football game in Death Valley or in Williams Bryce than we often see for public worship. Why are we more zealous for a political campaign for president than we are about worshiping the living God? In Pratt's analysis, the problem is a vision problem. It's a problem of vision. It's where we have our focus, and we often have our focus in the wrong place. If you don't look for signs of God's presence, if we see church from merely a human perspective, we'll tend to make public worship a lower priority than other things in our life that we tend operationally to act as if they're more important. The Lord's Prayer helps us refocus our vision, to refocus our eyes to see the most important priorities. If we begin with the right focus, that will help shape our expectations as we come to public worship. Our minds wander. They wander all over the place. But the Lord's Prayer helps us to refocus our vision for worship of the living God. And so this morning we'll see that we need to begin with the focus on God, our Heavenly Father. And then focus on your need for His help and grace to properly worship Him. And then finally focus on the glorious kingdom that God is bringing into existence through His church. First, begin with a focus on God, your Heavenly Father. Jesus teaches us to begin our prayer by recognizing the one to whom we pray. That's a basic principle of communication. Recognize who it is that you're talking to. So in prayer, focus on who you're praying to, God our Heavenly Father. And don't overlook how a profound phrase this is as we start, our Father in Heaven. It tells us that God is relational. He is our Father. And when Jesus invites his disciples to address God like this, he is inviting them to pray for that personal relationship with God. This is the kind of relationship that our original parents, Adam and Eve, had with God in the Garden of Eden. But their fall of sin spoiled all that. Human beings began to hide from God instead of enjoying a relationship with him. Now, granted, there's a sense in which all people are still God's children by creation. But without the saving work of Jesus, men and women have lost a relational sense 
of God as their father. So many people in our day lack a sense of relationship with the Heavenly Father. They are like the prodigal son who sold his inheritance to run away from home, to run away from his father. While the father still sought the prodigal and the father still loved him, the son had no sense of relationship with his father until he repented and came back. It is natural for unbelievers to lack a sense of relationship with their Heavenly Father, but I wonder how many Christians also lack this sense of relationship. Are you one who has that sense of relationship, or are you lacking it this morning? If you lack it, maybe you've just forgotten. Maybe you've grown too busy and the cares of this world have choked out that relationship. Or maybe something else has taken its place a good thing that's become a God thing because you put it in the place of God in your life. I urge you to hear with fresh ears the invitation to relationship that Jesus gives us as he teaches us to pray, our Father in heaven. But as you address this God who invites you into relationship, recognize that he's more than a human buddy. He's more than a pal. He's more than a chum. He is our Father in heaven. And while we can address God confidently as children, this is no nursery rhyme God to whom we pray. He is above all. He is the King of kings. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the ruler of everything. He is the one to whom the Apostle Paul ascribes tremendous power at the end of Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God can do things we just can't explain. In fact, he can do far more than we can even think about asking or imagining. A number of years ago, a friend of ours named Whitney, who's a nurse, or was a nurse then, she's now a nurse practitioner, she went on a mission trip to Uganda. And one day she had an accident and suffered cuts on her hands. The next day, she scooped up a bleeding child in her hands that still had the open sores and worked to stop the bleeding. But as she did so, with the open cuts in her hand, working to stop the bleedings in this AIDS child, she remembered, oh, she remembered that the child had AIDS and that she had just come under great risk. After the crisis was over, she looked down in apprehension at her hands. The sores were gone. The open sores had disappeared. How do you explain that? I can't explain it. But God can. God did it. According to the Bible, nothing is too hard for God. However, he also has wisdom and foresight to know that not everything we want is best. So he has wisdom and foresight to give us what we need 
and to accomplish his good and perfect work in our lives. It's that God who calls you to worship. And it's that God who teaches you to pray and who invites you into relationship. Do you want to transform your expectations for public worship this year? You know, we're still just in the second month of the year. Do you want to transform with your expectations for the rest of the year? Then begin by focusing on God, our Heavenly Father. Next, focus on your need for His help in worship. So secondly, focus on your need for God's grace and help to worship Him. Worship is about hallowing God's name about recognizing his greatness and therefore the greatness of the name that reflects him. After the address to God as our Heavenly Father, the very first petition that Jesus teaches us to pray in the model prayer is a petition for God's name to be hallowed. Hallowing God's name is the first priority. And it's crucial, though, to understand that in this prayer, this is not a commandment that Jesus given. It's a prayer. It's not, you shall hallow God's name. It's, God, let your name be hallowed. Now, it's true that there are commandments along the lines of hallowing his name. For instance, the Ten Commandments were commanded, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, and you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God and then remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Now, while the Bible in places does command us to hallow and respect God's name, in our scripture for this morning, the model prayer that Jesus gave, this is a prayer and not a commandment. It's an acknowledgement that we need God's help and his grace in order to properly hallow his name. We don't naturally honor and respect God and God's name like we should. As fallen human beings, we fall short of his glory, and we are prone to let idols take his place. Even believers who are saved by grace still wrestle with ongoing struggles with sin. And so we need God's grace not just to be saved from the penalty of our sin, but also for sanctification to be more and more rescued from the power of sin. And it's sin and it's power that separates us from God and that keeps us from being able to worship as we should. So we pray for his grace and we pray for his enabling power to do what is so important for us to do. And that's why he teaches us to pray, hallowed be your name. Grammatically, this is an active passive construction. Literally, it could be translated as, let your name be hallowed. God is the recipient. We are the actors, giving him the glory by hallowing his name. But it's not a passive, passive construction. God doesn't sit back doing nothing, waiting for us to hallow him. Rather, what he does is he enables us to hallow him and teaches us to pray for his help. In that sense, this is a prayer for his grace. It reminds me of a few years ago when our oldest granddaughter, Evelyn, asked, Grandpa, can you help me learn how to ride my bicycle? So we went out in the driveway, and it was her, it was Evelyn, that needed to actually learn. 
but she needed my help, and she called out for my help to actually help her. And by God's grace, she was writing very soon. But see, here's the difference, though, between Evelyn calling out for my help in riding a bicycle and our prayer to let God's name be hallowed. Once Evelyn learned she didn't need my help anymore, she could go on riding for the rest of the day. But for us, we continually need God's help in prayer. We can't just pray, hallow your name once, and then we've got it from here. We're praying for grace every time we pray this prayer. God, let your name be hallowed through us. There is a sense in which we hallow his name not only by recognizing his grace, but also by acknowledging our need for his help and for his grace. And unless we recognize our need of him and our need for relationship with him, we are not going to consistently honor him. As you prepare to come to worship each Lord's Day, begin by focusing on God, your heavenly Father. And then focus on your need for God's grace and help to worship him like we should. And then finally, point three, focus on the glorious kingdom of God. Focus on God's kingdom, his glorious kingdom. After the petition for God to enable us to hallow his name, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you ever spend time meditating on what a world will be like where God's will is perfectly done? There's a sense, though, in which that kingdom has already come. For example, in Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel begins with these words, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the first words of Jesus that are recorded by Mark are these, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. But this is still a fallen world, and Satan is described as the God of this world. The Apostle Paul tells us that the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So where does that leave us as a church as we come to public worship? It leaves us in the in-between times. This is the time of struggle between two kingdoms. Therefore, Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We long for, we yearn for the advancement of the kingdom. We long for a new world where planes don't fly into buildings, where there's no more war, where no more racial divisions, no more crime, no more cancer, no more heart disease, no more Parkinson's, no more ALS. In God's perfect world, bomb cyclones don't flood coastal areas. Tornadoes, hurricanes, and volcanoes don't destroy. There are no more wildfires, no more earthquakes. In God's perfect kingdom, babies don't die in the womb, and children don't grow up in homes where they are not safe and loved. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, whets our appetite 
for God's kingdom to fully come. We read in Revelation, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's then, but this is now, and we're living in the in-between times, where we pray for God's kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer for our day-to-day work as we are agents of bringing in his kingdom. But it's also praying for that final kingdom to come and yearning for a time where the world will no longer be under the curse. How does God's kingdom advance during this in-between time? Through the church. The church is God's chosen means for kingdom advancement. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray for his kingdom to come. And Jesus promises in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think too often we whine about how the world is impacting the church. Instead of claiming Jesus' promise, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you have a big enough vision for what God is doing in the world through his church? If not, then I call you to transform your public worship this year by focusing on God, our Heavenly Father, and your need for his help and grace in properly worshiping him and on that glorious kingdom that he is bringing into an existence through his church. God has a surprising way of breaking into our ordinary world by giving us glimpses of his heavenly glory. And so he gives us a foretaste of his heavenly kingdom. For example, in the Old Testament, think of how God appeared to Moses through a burning bush in the desert. Now I ask you, brothers and sisters, is there anything more ordinary than a bush? But God said, as he saw this ordinary bush in flames with God's glory, God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. I thought it was sand. It's holy ground because God's presence is there. If God can appear in an ordinary bush in the desert, and transform it into holy ground, how much more can he transform this ordinary room at Camperdown Academy into a holy place where he meets his people in public worship? As we conclude our worship this morning, reflect on the extraordinary privilege we have had this morning to draw near to our Heavenly Father in worship by his divine invitation and by his grace and help. He equips us week by week through worship, not only to acknowledge the greatness of his name, but to take up our part in his divine plan to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Wow. That's what we're about. That's what we've got to experience this morning. Let that strengthen your longing for a new heaven and a new earth, a world where his will is fully done and where death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And let that heighten your expectation as you look forward to next Sunday, as you look forward to public worship next Lord's Day, that you would come here with heightened expectations about what you're coming here to do. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great privilege that we've had to come into your very presence this morning. We thank you for the way that you've helped us even as we've worshiped. And Lord, we pray for the way that you're going to use your church, the way you're going to use this church as part of your agency to fully bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we long for that day. And Lord, may you use us to speed its coming. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.